I'm Glenn Parker, and you're watching Chopping It Up with Buck. All right, I'm happy to have on, on this edition of Chopping It Up my man, Glenn Parker. Glenn and I were both Pac-12 guys. He played at Arizona, I played at UCLA. Our paths have crossed a lot, Glenn, and it's interesting. It seems like yeah. we've been on the trajectory for a while, but I want to take you all the way back to Edison High School because it's interesting. You and I got to spend a lot of time in Arizona this year talking about your maturation and not even playing football in high school. Yeah, I'm not playing any sports in high school. I didn't play, uh, you know, I went out my freshman year of football and I didn't like it. Uh, I wasn't mature enough uh, mentally. For mm -hmm. sure. Physically, probably not. Uh, you know, maybe I got there later in high school, but in reality, no. Um, I had always been a really good athlete. I've always been among the better kids in Little League and basketball and flag football or whatever. And you know, I love to surf and body surf. And I just wasn't mentally mature enough to play in high school. And so, uh, you know, and I went to a very good high school program. Edison High School at that time turned out a lot of D1 players. Um, my year, a guy named Andy Sinclair at Stanford, mm -hmm. starting center. Still my, still my oldest friend in the world. He, he is, you know, I've known him forever. And yeah, did, did Bobby San was Bobby San Jose at Edison also? Uh, I don't remember that name. That yeah, might, yeah. That, that might be Huntington or Fountain Valley because okay, that's right. That's three right. high schools about two miles apart. All football factories turn out people. Yeah. Um, uh, guys, you would have played with at Huntington, uh, Billy Ray. Yeah, uh, Huntington yeah. Beach High School, and uh, uh, there was another uh, running back, uh, Farmer or something like that, yeah. in there who went up to UCLA, and so a lot of talent in that area. And um, you know, I think part of it just I didn't want to be yelled at by a five foot six, three hundred pound fat <laughs> man <laughs> screaming at me, telling me I was out of shape, and it's like, man, the beach, the waves, I gotta get out of here. And, and um, it's one of those things, you know, you do other things. I, I, I love the, you know, I love, I, I love to surf. I love body surfing. I love playing basketball at the courts where I ended up playing against a lot of ex NBA guys that helped my athleticism. And then, uh, and I was in a history club and I just did a lot of, I was kind of a nerd and kind of a, maybe not socially awkward. I wasn't socially awkward. I was just kind of a nerd. My interests were different. You know, yeah. I, just, I wasn't into that whole scene. And you were six five then, or six three? How tall? Yeah, I graduated high school about six five, and ended yeah. up getting closer to six seven by the time I uh, <laughs> got out of college. And now I'm down to six five again. <laughs> lost my height, that's that's the, the the knees that go bad, and then the all the other back stuff. Like a question mark. <laughs> so I got no nothing left in my neck. It's trouble. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about that because. You went to a junior college where I think that's where you really started to understand the game of football at Golden West. And, and tell us a little bit about that because I, I, I have so many kids that I try to tell these stories to about, well, when should I play? When you're ready to play. You weren't ready to play football at that time or you just didn't, you know, you didn't think you were, but maybe at the time that it happened for you at Golden West, tell us about the coaching and what you got there to help you really prepare for the next level. You know, I'm glad you asked it because I just – I think you're absolutely right. First off, I think way too many kids play too early and they burn out. Um, I think they learn really bad habits. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think they know football, but as you know, <laughs> they really don't know much about the game. And it's one thing to know football. It's a whole nother to understand football. Yeah, yeah. And I was – I consider myself um, – you know, I don't 
I don't really believe in luck at all, but I do know this. I don't think I'd have ever made the NFL I'd gone out in high school. And the reason I say that is because when I went out to junior college, I had a coach that had been all American for Bear Bryant. I had, that was the position coach. And he had been one of the best tight ends in the country coming out of college back in the early, uh, late 60s. A smart guy. Exercise, uh, he had his doctorate in exercise sports science. He was just one of those like original Ironman guys. I had a head coach that had played at Arizona. Uh, I had uh, another uh, tackles coach that had played, just been released by the Raiders. So the only thing I learned about the game besides proper footwork and angles is I learned how to learn. I learned the game from the outside in. You know, when you're young, they teach you, you've got that guy. Okay, you versus him. And then maybe you progress. Hopefully in high school you get to it's you two versus those two. If you're lucky, if you're at a high school that has enough, enough depth and enough uh, time so they can dedicate to an offense and a defense every day. But if you're on a team that doesn't, you're probably not going to get to those combo blocks. And then you get to college, you have to pick it up fast. And if you have never learned it the right way, you, you, you fall behind quick if your brain's yeah. not. Why well, had a coach that sat me down and said, see those guys, those are the safeties. That's going to tell us everything we need to know. <laughs> that, I was like, okay, now I know where backers are and why they're there. I didn't ever worry about the guy in front of me until we got to pads the first time. And he's like, all right, here's the way we're blocking this because what's going to happen? I'd say, well, because they're going to move here because the backer is giving me a clue because the safety's overplaying over there. That was, that was like getting a doctorate level education your first day in football, as opposed to having to go through all those little steps where one wrong step, you learn a bad habit. One wrong step, you're behind. Yeah. And, and Glenn, I think you bring up a really good point uh, about learning, but also continually learning is what some people don't realize with the game of football. Because when you say safeties, it just makes me think of my day when I'm walking out to the so out of the huddle or at the line of scrimmage and you're watching the safety move over, is he far enough in his depth where he can come up and kind of cover me or is he going to cover two depth or is he moving back to play, you know, cloud, sky, whatever you want to call it. But it's interesting, robber, rat, now that we see all those things. I think the biggest thing with learning football is you, you always learn something. Even when you, you – the minute you think you know this game, it's like, oh. I got to learn something different. And I think that's – you and I talked about that with Arizona. You got you know, one of those teams that had a great defense. Offense was was pretty decent, but you got – it gave you a chance to get drafted. You had some good skilled players on offense, but your defense was outstanding. How was it to go against Chuck Cecil and the Singleton Twins and Byron Evans and those guys every single day? What was that like for your football education? I mean, yeah, when you, when you look at that team, you know, I had Brad Hankey, who was a fourth-rounder in front of me. You know, and, and we had Dana Wells, the Morris Trophy guy, you know, and hell of a nose guard, one of the better college nose guards ever. You had the single to twins, first-round pick. They had Darrell Lewis, second-round pick, perennial all-pro at one corner. Chuck Cecil, James DeBow, you had all these guys. And you're like, you know, so you're learning at a high level because – those guys played at a high level. And I don't mean – there's a million guys nowadays, and, and Buck, I think you understand this really well, is colleges today are no longer – they're no longer nearly as complicated at what they're doing as they were when we played because they learned. We can just get the best players and get them playing fast. We can make mistakes. 
cut our mistakes down, cut their mistakes, make them make more mistakes, we'll be all right. Whereas the guys then had, a, I think, a much deeper innate knowledge of the game of football. I'm shocked when I talk to college kids today that don't, don't have any idea of, okay, if the safety's cap in the corner, what's going to happen? Uh, things that I knew when I got to college, they don't have a clue. And they're not, they've never been asked to learn it. Yeah, and yeah. Guys right now to this day, I tell you, I've watched rookies get in the NFL. And they don't know why we're going to tell them who Mike is. They don't know. <laughs> and I don't think they know who the hell Mike is. I don't think they know what it means. To see <laughs> Mike, that's Mike. Why are you telling me Mike's there? <laughs> 58 is Mike. <laughs> no, that's funny. No, you know, so it, 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 you know, playing those guys at Arizona every single day and the way you guys scrimmage, I know it was tough talking to, the, talking to you, but also talking to some of the defensive guys. Uh, had to prepare you for, for the pros. When you got to Buffalo, you you're a third-round pick. You're, 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 I know uh, we talked a little bit about it practicing and getting ready to play. You, you got a chance to go against uh, Biscuit, Cornelius Bennett, Bruce Smith, that Bill's defense with Tally, all those guys. So you, you leave a school in Arizona, and then you go to a school, uh, a team in the league that has, I mean, because we played you twice a year, so you guys were tough. Tell me about that and, and what that was like every single day. Yeah, you know you know what it's like being a rookie, okay? I got to make the team. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm being told, all right, you're going to be a backup tackle, but you're going to be you're going to fight for the starting guard spot. I had never played guard, always been a tackle. I was a little weird getting inside and having people so close to me. Wasn't sure I liked that. <laughs> but I, I end up, our, our starting left tackle holds out. So I ended up becoming the starting left tackle even into season. About uh, the first three games of the season, I started left tackle. So first, you know, not only do you go through the preseason where you think you got a grip on things, then you get thrown. Then regular season starts, you realize you weren't doing anything in preseason. But every day at practice, I went from instead of going against Leon Seals, who's very good, but I'm tight in space, to I'm out in space against Bruce Smith every single one-on-one. And then when he takes a break, I got Cornelius Bennett. And, of course, they're lining up. to They're just rolling to try to line up. Against <laughs> them. They're, they're fighting each other for reps against you, you know, and that makes you just learn that much quicker. Yeah. What are they doing? How are they setting you up? How are they trying to counter you? Um, it helped immensely just being thrown yeah. into the fire like that because then once he came back, I was able to step in and win the right guard spot and then out of the right guard spot and start backing up other spots. I played, you know, I ended up, Starting maybe three, four games a rookie, but I played something like seventy something percent of all the offensive snaps. Wow! So, and I yeah. played tight end. They they moved me everywhere. <laughs> and it was like, I was happy. I was on the field. I was in my rookie year. Well, and the good thing with that too is think about your body. You weren't beat up. That, that's the one thing by not having a lot of football under you. You didn't have your body wasn't beat up. Uh, you know, I always talk about this. Marcus Patton was on that team with you guys. Sure. Too. He was in that same draft class, I think, and and just. You know, Marv Levy had to be a big influence on you. And also, the way he prepared you guys, you, you did some hitting, but it wasn't a lot once that season started. It sounds like sounds like he protected you guys. It wasn't a lot in camp when yeah. I went back. Because I learned, I learned what hitting in camp was all about when I went to the Chiefs with Marty <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> these guys, no wonder we were healthy. You know, we, I remember he, we used to have a – you kind of get in the rhythm really quick at camp, you know, and, and Marv had us go – we were only over there for about 19 or 20 days. We were about 45 minutes from our house. So what we would do is if you, if you went a morning heavy practice in pads for run, you went an afternoon with just your shoulder pads for pass. The next morning was the same. 
The next morning was the same. And then you got that night off. The next morning was a walkthrough. The next afternoon was a light or no padded practice. And then you did two more two days. So we never did more than two, two days in a row without a night off or a next morning off. So you were rested all the time. And your two days consisted of we're going to do run pass, run hard here, and then pass in the afternoon where you're not going to have your pants on. You're not going to be dragging your body around. You know, the people forget how heavy those pads get in August when they got. Oh, uh, I, I know. <laughs> you talk about hard practices. I was with the Saints that same year. I think we came out in the same draft class. And Jim Moore, I can remember going eight straight days. Now, we were in lacrosse, Wisconsin, which was a little bit better because of the temperature. But I can remember going eight straight two-a-days. And I can see why the Saints, they were really good at that time with the Dome Patrol and all those guys, but they would wear out uh, when they would play the 49ers. And the 49ers, I think, took your approach to how they would too. They would really take shed the pads at certain times of practice. Sometimes wouldn't even go out in pads. And I think that's the important thing that you, you think about how uh, teams now are kind of reverting back to that. Now, tell me, th this is what I'm always intrigued by when I talk to guys like you that have played against some really great folks that you practice every day. You can't cut Bruce. We all knew that because he would he'd get highly pissed off. But other outside linebackers or defensive ends that you played during your time that you just said, this guy is a handful. I got I to gotta be ready to go all game long because if I make one mistake, he's going to make me pay. You know, if you remember in at that time in 1990, that was uh, – Lawrence Taylor had become dominant, 86, 87, 88. By 1990, almost every team had an outside backer that was a handful. That was just – he pinned his ears back and just got to go. My, my very first game, first regular season game was against the Colts and Dwayne Beckett. Yeah. All day soccer for a rookie. Yeah. And then Carl Mecklenburg. As yeah. the There's a, Mike Kofer, who played for the Detroit Lions. Fast, off the edge, got low, strong, can throw you around. You go, you're playing against the New England Patriots, who at the time are not very good. They got Andre Tippett strong. They got, they got the Terminator, uh, uh, Vincent, sitting in the yeah. middle. I, I, I saw Bickett every day in practice, so I knew that. But I'm Tippett was one of those guys that was a fourth-degree black belt. If he didn't want to be touched, he wouldn't be touched. Got Dolman up in Minnesota along with uh, – what, what was the other guy on the other side? Millard, Keith Millard. I mean, they had – And Millard was an animal. Yeah. Hey, look, as a rookie, think about this. Ricky Jackson, Von Johnson, Sam Mills, and Patrick Swoboda. Yeah, that's a hell of a linebacking core right there now. <laughs> and Charles Haley, at, at some point, you're going to see him when you play San Francisco. That, that's what's so amazing that guys like yourself who were not even playing high school football had to be ready because that was true. The evolution of the, of the edge rusher, Lawrence Taylor, and then the defensive ends became more athletic and faster. That's your first year, you were just like, how much coffee did you drink and how much film did you watch? <laughs> first off, I, I coffee came in later towards the end of the first year when I started, because, you know, I went through the rookie, I'm going to swallow my tongue. How many weeks is this now? I'll <laughs> 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 read 12. You're like, wait a minute. We had five weeks of preseason, 12 weeks of season. We're not even – and the, there's no light at the end of this tunnel. You know, and then, of course, we went all the way to Super Bowl four straight years. So you lose all that time four straight years. Um, for honestly, I, you have I, I, you have to learn to watch film. I don't I don't know if there's anybody in college that knows how to watch film. When you get to the science of it, because in in college, yeah, you're gonna get your film now, 
people are going to give it to you. But you know what I'm talking about. Everybody develops their own style of watching. So I listen to Ken Hall. I listen to Will Wolford. I listen to Jimmy Richard and Howard Ballard. And we would have our group meetings and learn. And to be able to learn what they were looking for and why. And then as I matured and went to the Chiefs and could bring film home, and then at the Giants where I, I really, you know, my last five years or so, I, I, I became a scientist at what I wanted to see on film, what I was looking at, you know, not just his hand placement, which foot is up and back. But I also want to watch a game from start to finish. So I get a feeling of that guy's mental state when they're on the high, when they're on the low, what gets him high, what gets him low, not just looking at cut-ups. And then I want to look at all those tendencies. How often do their tendencies marry their, their marry with their, their mental state, with the emotions of the game? How often does that cross? What's that intersectionality like? And so you start getting to where, you know, as a rookie, I had no idea. I'm better every year, to the, and I'm better now. But it's just you just learn constantly how to watch film the right way. You talk about those that Buffalo run, and I had a good, the good fortune of playing against you guys and competing in Indianapolis. Tell us about that because I know so many people say, well, you went four times and you didn't win. I, I look at it like, hey, you had a chance. You were in the game five times, actually, one with the Giants and four with the, with the Bills. Now looking back at that, what do you as a, as a guy now that has gone through that and been able to say, I played in five Super Bowls, uh, and what is that like? Even though you didn't come out on the winning end, what, what did you take away from those five opportunities to play for the, for the Lombardi Trophy? So never take it for granted. Uh, and, I, and I knew that because after my first four years, I'd done it. And here I didn't get into another one until almost my last year. So never take it for granted. Understand that the emotional toll, a game rides on emotions when it never should. If you're in learning how emotion should never be part of the game is very important. And you watch when it turns into a game sometimes where emotion gets into it. The team that gets emotional first generally loses. Emotions cannot play a part. I learned about the process of creating a good team and staying on a good team. That process of, of sticking to what you know works and how it works and bringing in new ideas constantly to improve. That's, that's life. That is, I have to trust that if I do little things right all the time, those tiny little habits are going to add up into an explosion of, of improvement. Now, what I found interesting, Glenn, even the Super Bowl, and I think it's, it's, it's un, unbelievable to play five times for a Super Bowl championship. But you were going to wine internships when you were with the Giants. You know, we, you and I talked about wine, and we started – and, and, and quite honestly, I think if people are casting, you and I would be a great duo as a Cowboy uh, Western movie. I mean, I'm not a big cow, uh, Western fan, uh, country music fan, but I like certain things, and certain things you knew I liked, you'd always play. And I had you listen to the thing. I, I would be cowboy soul. That's what I call. There you go. <laughs> but the great thing about it, uh, where you live now, we'll talk about that too because I had a great time coming out there, heading after uh, all the stuff ended with the AAF. But you were doing a wine internship during the season uh, or during your off season with the Giants. Tell me, tell me, tell the people about that because I think that's really interesting developing the passion so when you left the game you kind of have something uh when you walked away you know i think what you do um if you're if you're smart in football you have to have something outside of football so originally for me it was tv and radio and that's what i had gone to school for kind of nominally and so i had a transition kind of ready for me but 
I got to the Chiefs of all places, and they had player development, which the Bills didn't have at the time. The Chiefs were pretty much cutting edge at that time. Uh, a friend of ours, uh, Lamont Winston, was in charge. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, hey, we know you're doing this. Do you want to do radio or TV? I said, no, I'm really into wine. I'd love to be, learn more about the process. So they reached out, got some different wineries, and Robert Mandavi answered back, was one of the several that answered back, and that's where I chose to go. And I went there almost every off-season from about 97 through 2002. And um, sometimes longer, you know, I might go three, four weeks. I might go one week. It just depended on how the schedules were. And I, sometimes I stayed right on Mr. Mandavi's property. At other times, I'd get a hotel. And I learned the business inside and out. And I learned that I wanted to be involved in it somehow. And I probably would have been, except right when I retired, I got – a really good job with NBC right out the gate. So there was no time for that. I needed to yeah. concentrate. And my wife had twins. And that, <laughs> we yeah. had <laughs> <laughs> like, a lot of my time. But, but the interesting thing with wine, as you say, that were, did you love wine first before you started cooking food? Or was it food and then wine? How did that? I think it was food and then wine. I think, yeah. you know, cooking, I think all, all of us as football players like to cook. I think we like it. You know, it, yeah. it gives us some control. It's it's our way of showing love to our family and our friends, and we like that. I I, I don't. I've not really never met a football player who didn't like to cook. Yeah. And then you add in, you like to cook. You start. My wife was pregnant with our first daughter, and she hated everything she made. If she made it, she wasn't going to eat it. Made her sick. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to have to start cooking, so I might as well really learn to cook because it's one thing to be the youngest of six and just make crap in the kitchen because you, you're hungry. And it's a whole other to to know what you're doing. So I learned, I, I went with a, um, a friend of mine who, who is a kind of classically trained chef that ran a, a French inspired restaurant, really good one. And I just was a fly on the wall. I, I listened, I learned, I asked questions. I went in during the day to learn how to do stocks and prep work and at night how to run a, a line on a stove and know what your timing is and understand that if you know what you want it to taste like and you know the texture you want, how to get there. And that led me into wine because then you're like, why did that? I thought that wine was great. And then I just ate it, I ate it with that meal. It was terrible. Why'd that happen? Then you start learning all why they're like that and why they mesh so well. That led me into wine, which, you know, it just, just keep learning. I'm, you know, me, Buck, I, I get my, <laughs> my hands in a lot of little pies. I'm learning there. Matter of fact, what quarantine, right? I'm yeah. in quarantine. What have I done? I've learned to weld. I wanted to learn how to weld. Now I'm welding. I got a project going right now. Well, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and talk about that uh, with the, the quarantine and you learning. I know you, you're always trying to improve yourself. We'll, we'll take a break and we'll be right back. All right. Hi, I'm Mike Gardner, founder of Thin Energy, the wellness energy that delivers each and every time. In six weeks that I've been taking Thin Energy, I feel fantastic. I lost seven pounds in the first week. You just squeeze it in, you take a shot, and you're done. Get your drinks, get you hyped, get you ready. I feel great. Jump on, try Thin Energy. Drink it, live it. Many people are looking for natural alternatives to help ease their aches and pains. Begin stopping the pain with the help of Pain Stopper. Formulated by healthcare providers, Pain Stopper helps alleviate a variety of physical ailments so you can get back to doing what you love. Our products are triple independently lab tested to ensure the highest quality hemp available. Visit PainStopCBD.com for more information. Pain Stopper, because why manage pain when you can stop it? 
At Heslip Wealth Advisors, our goal is to help small businesses develop quality retirement plans for their employees through our Lunch and Learn seminars. We provide lunch and learning tools to help your company succeed and unmatched customer service. All right, we're back at Chopping It Up with Buck with Glenn Parker. Uh, Glenn, you were talking about the quarantine and thing that you've had to do during that time, all your family there. And, and I know uh, you guys are having a good time bonding, but I knew I was going to ask you, what have you done to, to, to kind of keep yourself <laughs> sane in the house, you know, working in the house, but also fine? Because I know you've got something. I was going to ask you what book have, had you read, but you took it the next step. You said you learned welding. Tell us about that. You know, I'm already, I read all the time. I got three or four books going at all times. So that's just, but I always wanted to learn to weld. And it's something I've been wanting to do for about 10 years just because I see something that I'd love to make that, but I don't know how to weld. Or I don't even know how I would start. Luckily, right near my house is a, a good friend of mine who lives by himself. He's socially distanced anyway. Um, he is a professional welder, fabricator, and all-around genius. And I, he said, I'll teach you. So I go over every Saturday for about three or four hours and and now we're we're working on a project together, and he, he, I was responsible for laying out the project, measurements, all my all my cut charts, where it had to be, leveling it out, and we got about halfway done today. I'm pretty fired up. It's uh, I'll have pictures <laughs> when it's done, but it's I wanted, I don't know where you know where you live, but without a gym, it's almost impossible to find a pull up bar or a dip plate, <laughs> real one. Yeah. So yeah, I'm building that's true. one that's made for me. <laughs> oh, it's heavy duty. <laughs> I got you. Well, you know, that's the one thing, Glenn, you think about it. I've, I've had a chance to get my daughter's home, so we've had a chance to walk. I, I'll, I'll say this. It's taught me and made me appreciate the things that I didn't always have a time to, to spend and do. And I think, um, you know, that's been the best thing for me is just getting to know her, my wife and I. She, my daughter likes to cook, so we were in making some sea bass for Mother's Day. I pulled up a recipe. So when you were talking about cooking, I love the barbecue and grill more than in the house, but I've really started to learn how to do different things. And I think uh, my daughter has been a big influence on that. When you left the game of football, you know, a lot of guys talk about that transition being tough. What was that like for you? What was it when you had the – uh, hang up the cleats and, and walk away from the game? I think first off, easier for me than most because I didn't play high school ball. It wasn't my identity. Football was never a part of who I was. It was just, it was just a little thing I did. Uh, I made sure when I was playing the game that most of my friends were outside the game. I was always good friends with my teammates. Yes, I'd go out with them once in a while or during the week, but the vast majority of my friends were non-football players that keep you grounded. They, they're they're not they're, they're We talk about things other than football, and that was important to me. And then, so when I ended and I transitioned, I, I, I had a house. We moved. I knew what I wanted to do. I I got a for the first six months out. I had a job. I got to do some of Arizona's games on the local network because that's the way it used to work before you were on national networks. Pardon me. And then right after that first season, so you're you know. I officially retired, what, March or whatever it is. And right in December, I get a call to come audition for an NBC show. And audition in January, I was the only non-all-star, non non-skill position, non-Hall of Famer in the mix, and I got it. 
So I felt really good about that audition. And when we came down to it, uh, it was for the Arena Football League on NBC. And it was myself and Michael Irvin. And we <laughs> had a blast doing it. And I ended up doing that for four years with him. And uh, it was great for four years, flying to New York City and talking arena football. And then it kind of morphed into all the sports on a Sunday. Myself and Al Trowig sitting there BSing about. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how that happens because, you know, I've been in, in, in broadcast and we talked a lot about that. But our, and, and, and if we go back to what we really love as a game of football and kind of what even got us closer – was coaching in the AAF. I, I had to cross in broadcasting. I'd see you. We'd see each other. We knew each other. But when we got to the arena, I mean, Alliance of American Football, the AAF, we got to know each other pretty well. We were staying in some dorms like we were back <laughs> in college. I think worse than college. It, 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 was a, it, it was a good setup for what we had. You, you, you know, you could walk across to the complex to, to watch film. But you and I had probably dinner two or three nights a week. We would always find a little, we were finding places, right? We were on the hunt to find a new little hole in the wall that had really good food and, you know, had to have a, a nice beer on tap after a long day at the office. What, I mean, what was your experience? I, I thought I had so much fun uh, coaching football, being around the guys, helping guys uh, get a chance to get to the league. What was your experience like in the AAF? Well, I, I think it mirrors yours. I just, absolutely loved having that opportunity to immerse myself back into the game. I didn't mind the dorm at all. I mean, it was, yeah, it was a dorm, but gosh darn it, you know, and no TV in our dorm. No, you know, it was what it was. <laughs> we had, I had everything I needed. I could, we, like you said, we could walk and watch film and do our meetings. We could get right to the cafeteria. And we had, we were in a good spot where you and I could jump out every night and find a spot, you know, for an hour or two to just decompress. And, um, I liked being immersed back in the game because mm -hmm. the thing is a lot, so many times people talk about, Oh, uh, follow your passions. And I don't think that's true. My passion was never football. I just turned out to be good at it. And so I developed a passion for it. Find out what you're really good at, develop a passion. And then it's easy. And that's why I thought it was easy. And I, when I was with the university of Arizona staff the year prior, my wife's like, man, you're getting up out of here at four 30 every morning. You're not coming home till 10. And you've got energy. I said, yeah. well, it's because I love it. I just love it. I'm just, I can't believe I get to do this. Yeah, I mean, well, we were walking over in the morning, like before the sun came up to go work out at the Y. There was a Y on there. You know, and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm making fun of the place. It, I enjoyed it. We had a good, comfortable bed, had a hot shower. And, uh, you know, pretty much that's all you needed because you weren't in that dorm that much. But I think it, what, what I liked the most was watching those guys come together as a team because we had a pretty doggone good team. And we had a good group of guys to work with. And I hated how it ended. And I saw that with the XFL. You had a couple of offensive linemen that were trying to get to the next level. I, I had a few uh, in, in, the, in the tight end group. But I thought it was one of those things where you were getting a chance. They were getting a chance to learn and understand the game even deeper than having to go in the training camp as a practice body or anything else. What, what, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, you know, I think the neatest thing was everybody showed up with a willingness to work. And it was amazing to me that you get guys that, I think the funnest thing of it all is everybody's willing to work, but when you start off, half the guys aren't willing to learn. They're willing to work. And then by the end of it, they all started realizing the reason they're where they're at is because they weren't willing to learn. 
and maybe they should get there. I think we had three guys or four guys off the offensive line get a chance in camp, and um, and that's what it's that's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to give kids that chance, that possibility of getting into a camp and feeling good about the way things ended, as opposed to being just cut off from football. And so I can I hang my hat on the fact they got a chance. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, the facilities we had were, were great. I mean, we were practicing at the Cardinals. I mean, I know you're, you're still doing some things with the Cardinals pre or post game, and I'm not sure which one. But we were at their outside practice facility, and we'd go walk every day and talk before. And, and what I noticed, what you just said made me think about it. Remember, initially, guys weren't coming out to work before. And I got on my guys about this, too, and I think you did as well. I said, there, there is every right now whether they're in this league or in that league or coming up from college is doing something before during and after and then even after practice if you're not doing that you know I you're not gonna make it <laughs> and, and it was interesting by the second or third week how many guys you had working on the pads I had my guys coming over doing some double team stuff just more footwork and that was interesting to see the progression of what they started to understand like yeah I'm here I can't complain about my spot. I've got to do everything I can to get to the next level. Yeah, you know, it's it's the old thing. Uh, it's Ben Franklin, better uh, better done than well said. Stop telling me you want to get to the NFL and you don't come out here and show me. If you're not going to come out and work on just the simple things, why would I ever tell an NFL coach this is a guy you got to take a look at? I mean, it made no sense. And I think that every – person but every football person especially has to learn at some point stop telling me about how much homework you do stop telling me how much you want something just go show me the homework you do and show me what you've done and we can get there if you're willing to take the time and learn and put in the work right and that's pretty simple stuff. yeah I, I, hey well the other thing is the football stuff was great but our love for tacos how many tacos that we find how many dogs i mean if it's gonna be chopping it up we got to talk some food wine or who doesn't like tacos i should have I, I, i'd have i'd have a full <laughs> six pack if i didn't eat tacos i love tacos <laughs> hold on how about the time you came back on because you would have to go home i was there during the weekend you go home which is great you got to go to tucson which is a, a great town by the way as well come back and say, hey, I, I found something. I think we should try this one. And I had been searching on the weekend. Remember the place we found that had all-you-can-eat tacos? I think we tried to put them out of business that one time. Oh, yeah. And then we turned on enough other coaches to, <laughs> to the fact, like, you got to come try this out on Wednesdays. It's all you can eat. Uh, we tried to put them out of business. But you know what? That They were – you talk about just good people, that place, and so many yeah. of them, you know, they were just happy to have anybody in there, but much less people like us sitting at that counter ordering two more at a time, eating everyone. <laughs> And for those who don't know, you know, when you're out near the border, a taco isn't like tacos you're going to get any around the East Coast or down South or even Texas. Texas got a little better, but still, you know, you're eating, you're eating beef cheek, you're eating uh, tongue. There's a, oh, it's great, it, you know. And, and having been in all over the Southwest like you, I've had, I got an appreciation for tacos. I can't find them here like I can. So when I was there, I'll say this too: it was over. That was the hardest part because I went to L.A. for a couple of days and then I called you and you said, hey, man, just stop here because I had to drive back to Austin in the truck and before I flew back to Charlotte. What was it like for you? I, I, mean, I felt like I lost my friend. I, I felt like I lost something because 
Think about it. We were in the dang meeting room putting up our game plan, and then we find out we're not going to do it, and we have to kind of just stop and reset. You, you were able to go right home. But tell me about that because I know a lot of guys reached out to you. I was one, and uh, we had a good time when I finally got to Tucson. But just tell me about how you felt when that was over. Yeah, you know, I think your sense of loss, as you said, it's such an incomplete. Uh, there's no ending. There was no – there was no um, finality to it. It was just, we were getting ready for a game and now we're not working anymore. And you lose all those kids that you were coaching every day. You got a relationship with, and uh, I, the coaches all over the league. I had coaches from other teams, you know, some guys are leaving San Antonio trying to get to California. They stopped and stayed with me. Just, it was, it just felt it was a, it's an emptiness and a, and a lack of closure that you just never had that you just been, and, and I still, if I could get back in, if if, it, if the XFL, if there had been an opportunity, I was I would have done it in a heartbeat. I love it. <laughs> I, you know, that staff we had was a ton of fun. Rick made it fun. That's why it was fun because Rick made sure it was an enjoyable time for us. And uh, yeah, and it, 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 it still I have that. There's a hole there because I just missed doing it. He did a, a real, Rick Neuheisel. He's talking about was our head coach. He did a really nice job of, of blending the. The, the personalities, because we had some personalities on that that crew, on offense and defense. It was, it was some guys that, you know, if they were in certain situations, people could quelch this person or that person. But we had a really good group, and I think competitive group, mind you. Uh, but I, I'll just say this, driving back and getting a chance to go to Tucson, I got a chance to come hang out with you for a night, and we, we hung out in town. And, the, and I'm still thinking about that the place you took me for with the green chilies and uh, the great Mexican food. So I got to come back to hang out there. But tell, tell me what you're doing at home when, you, when we aren't in quarantine. What is it that, that you like to do and kind of hang out at, at, at your sp spot? The Catalina, I think Foothills is where you are. I mean, you got I'm up in the foothills of the Catalina Mountains. So yeah, Cal I'm in the foothills. The mountains go 10,000 feet. And, you know, people think Arizona, they think desert. They don't realize about two-thirds or more of our state's covered in Ponderosa Pines. And so having that right near me is great. But – I work at the university. I'm a fundraiser and I, uh, I go on the road for them meeting alums and talking with alumni and going to events. And it's a, I love it. Uh, I've got the best boss and, I, and it's hard to beat. It really is. But <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Glenn, you talked about it a little bit. I, I'm going to go back to that. What, if you did play football, if you ever look at your life now where you are, what would you have done if you hadn't played football? What would have been, you know, Glenn Parker, if he was someone else and didn't play football and become the guy that you, that you have? I, I think I would have been behind the camera in movies or television. That was kind of the path I wanted. Possible high school teacher, I don't know. Um, I have, still have a love of history. I read a lot about it. But, uh, yeah, I would have seen myself, you know, I, I don't know. And, honestly, if we, I talk about it all the time. When I, I said football saved my life. And yeah. I know I saved my parents. <laughs> Working underage as a bouncer is nowhere to go through life. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point. That's a good point. All right, Glenn, so you always talk to me when, when I see you. The first time I got in your truck, you had a couple of books in there. You said you were reading three different books. And then after the AAF, you and I started sending books back to each other. You got me involved in a couple of uh, kind of social media book clubs and and different things like that. I always, I like to read too. So it was always interesting. Some of the things that you guys, uh, that you would share with me and I'd share with you. And I thought it was always good to get a good insight on different 
different things. I, I'm a history major by, by choice, and I think you were the same way, and we kind of had a, an appreciation of history. So uh, from a standpoint of books, what are you currently reading? What's kind of influenced you the most? Wow. Um, the, all books, many different reasons. Books have had a different, um, I think, um, what Price Glory by Alistair Hunt is his name. That's a World War Two book. A World War One book really had an impact. Um, let's see, A Distant Mirror. Barbara Tuchman was a really good one. That's about the black uh, about the plague in medieval Europe. That mm. and so and now you're looking. Wow, I read that yeah. when I was 14. And, okay, and it, it it's so appropriate right now. You just like you, when this thing hits. Um, those are two really big ones, historical books that I, I, I enjoyed, um, and I thought really had an impact. Um, well, I could go on and on, honestly. I, I have, there's so many that I, I, I got, I have one for you, Glenn, if you have some time, the warmth of other suns, it's about the great migration. Uh, it, it's actually a pretty, pretty good one. The warmth okay. of other suns, you might want, you might like that. It talks about the migration of African-Americans from, right. Uh, Texas out to California, which made me think of your dad, from uh, Louisiana to California, from uh, Florida up to New York. It's a really, okay. really, really good read. You mentioned it, well, your parents. I know you're close to your dad, your mom, but, but tell us about their influence because I know uh, your dad's a, a veteran. He served in, uh, I think, World War II in Korea. What influence did he play on your life? Uh, because a lot of talk, guys talk about coaches and different things, and I know they're important, but tell us a little bit about your relationship with your dad and, and what, what he means to you. Well, you know, I, I, I had two very strong parents. My father had come from a one-room shack. Um, he was born, he was one of seven kids, born in one room. Across the room was a curtain where mom and dad were on one side, all the kids on the other, no indoor plumbing. He was born in the kitchen area. It's just off there. You know the type of house. They're all over down south. He was born in Texas. Um, 12, he hitchhiked the rails to California to, uh, to pick dates during the summer. Okay. Can you imagine what Indio, California is like in the summer, picking dates. He's 12 and 13-year-old because he's with his older brothers riding the trains and sending money home. And when the war came, he joined uh, because his older brothers had joined because he wanted out of that little Texas town. And he never went back. And he uh, married my mom, who lost both of her parents before she was 16 years old, and made her way in the world. And so I had two really strong parents that it basically taught me if there was one strong thing they said is, if you want it, you got to go get it. There's nothing going to be handed to you in this life. And my father had ended up uh, 20 years in the service, World War II Korea, and into Vietnam. And when he retired, he became an engineer with uh, Hughes Aircraft Missile Systems and Ground Operation. My mom was a nurse, had gone to nursing school at USC, which at the time was not USC, it was part of it, and ended up uh, running hospitals. And they had done it all on their own. They had a nice life in Huntington Beach, a boat in the harbor at Dana Point, and some rental properties and whatnot. And uh, I ended up, I just knew if I was going to get it, I had to go get it. It took me longer to come to it than most people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Well, Glenn, we always kind of finish up with the two-minute drill, so I'm a couple of quick questions. So I don't want to take all your time today, but I know it's been good catching up as always. First thing I got, what book What book are you reading? I know you have multiple, but what book are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading Call Sign Chaos. It's uh, from Colonel Mad Dog Mattis about leadership and uh, learning. All right. Let me. When's the last time you've been able to go out and get on the water, surfboarding? 
Uh, it's actually been a couple months. It was right before quarantine. Uh, you know, it was probably back in late January, start of February. And I'm back and forth to Huntington Beach all the time. As you know, I'm leaving Monday. I got to go out there for a week. Uh, I'm hoping to get in the water then if they'll open the beaches and, or, and make it possible for us. So I'll be and <laughs> one good taco spot in Tucson. If anybody comes to Tucson, where do they need to go for a great taco spot? Uh, there's a lot of good ones. I'm going to tell you, I think personally, the, uh, you got to go to, um, tacos, Apson, A-P-S-O-N is really good. Or, uh, tacos, El Pueblita is really good too, but Apson is the one I like. And you got to score here. Big, we, we need a big man score. So I'm going I'm to set you up with an easy one. If you could coach again, would you do it? <laughs> In a heartbeat, Buck. Hopefully with you. Hopefully me and you get to run in the same circles again, but you know I'm going to do that one again. <laughs> hey, Glenn, always good catching up, man. Hope you and your family get through this safe, healthy, and blessed. And, and when we do, we got to come out on the other side and find the best taco spots wherever we are, right? I do that with a nice cold one as well. And have, have a good one, and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. All right. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for having me on. We'll chop it up with Buck, man. Love seeing you, man. We'll talk soon. Gardner, founder of Thin Energy, the wellness energy that delivers each and every time. In six weeks that I've been taking Thin Energy, I feel fantastic. I lost seven pounds in the first week. You just squeeze it in, you take a shot, and you're done. Get your joints, get you hyped, get you ready. I feel great. Jump on, try Thin Energy. Drink it, live it. Many people are looking for natural alternatives to help ease their aches and pains. Begin stopping the pain with the help of Pain Stopper. Formulated by healthcare providers, Pain Stopper helps alleviate a variety of physical ailments so you can get back to doing what you love. Our products are triple independently lab tested to ensure the highest quality hemp available. Visit PainStopCBD.com for more information. Pain Stopper, because why manage pain when you can stop it? At Heslip Wealth Advisors, our goal is to help small businesses develop quality retirement plans for their employees through our Lunch and Learn seminars. We provide lunch and learning tools to help your company succeed and unmatched customer service. 